This is uh, lesson seven or chapter 17 from part two of uh, Matthew. Uh, our study uh, this week is on chapter 17. Um, let's open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we thank you that you uh, have given us this opportunity to meet together. We ask that you might meet us and that you might reveal your person uh, to us. Father, we thank you for Messiah Yeshua, who is uh, the embodiment of all of the promises that you have made. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. And this is from uh, this is from the Shabbat service Shacharit for uh, um, uh, out of the Sidur. Uh, this is Yishtarach. May your name be praised forever, our King, the God, the Great and Holy King in heaven and on earth. Because for you it is fitting, O Lord our God and God of our forefathers, song and praise, lauding and hymns, power and dominion, triumph, greatness and strength, praise and splendor, holiness and sovereignty, blessings and thanksgivings from this time and forever. Blessed are you, Lord, God, King, exalted through praises, God of thanksgivings, Master of wonders, who chooses musical songs of praise, King, God, life giver of the world. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. And this is from uh, uh, the uh, Shabbat service for Shacharit uh, um, as part of the Shemona Esrei. Be favorable, Lord our God, toward your people Israel and their prayer, and restore the service to the Holy of Holies of your temple. The fire offerings of Israel and their prayer accept with love and favor, and may the service of your people Israel always be favorable to you. May our eyes behold your return to Zion in compassion. Blessed are you, Lord, who restores his presence to Zion. Amen. Uh, well, we look at uh, last week. We looked a little bit, and we just briefly mentioned um, this week. Roseanne, Roseanne was very wise in trying to draw us into this week's lesson last week, and that was good. Thank you for that. Uh, now we're going to see that they're actually connected. Um, um, reading from Zechariah 14, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, it shall be the Lord is one, and His name one. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of the nations which came from against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep Chag Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are from Zechariah 14.9 and Zechariah uh, 14.16. Here the Lord is one and his name shall be one. Uh, if, you, if you recognize that phrase, uh, we, we often repeat that phrase when we, uh, when we pray um, Alenu. Uh, actually, is it Alenu? There's another one we do uh, uh, about every fifth Shabbat we end up doing it. Uh, we do it in Hebrew and we do it in English as well. Um, Anyway, that his name is one, and his, uh, that the, in that day the Lord's name is one, and his name shall be one. Uh, what are we going to we, we're going to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles. What what happens to the Feast of Tabernacles? Anybody know? What do you do for Sukkot? You build a sukkah. Well, if, even if you don't build a sukkah, our congregation always has a sukkah out front, so you can you can fulfill the commandment by like stopping in, right? <laughs> uh, no, but we uh, build a sukkah, uh, dwell in a sukkah. Uh, how often do we dwell in a sukkah? Uh, well, we try and eat all our meals in a sukkah, and we try and sleep in a sukkah if we can. Uh, dwelling in a sukkah is is uh, is difficult, is it not? If you really do it, it is. It's supposed to be. 
It's supposed to be fun too, and it is fun, uh, but it is a little bit difficult. Uh, but what else happens during Sukkot? What happened during the uh, during the time when the temple stood in Sukkot? Yeah, it's what part of the Shlach Regalim, which is the three pilgrimages, the three pilgrimage festivals, where every male, every male uh, of of age in Israel that lived in the land was required uh, by the commandment uh, 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 to return to Jerusalem and offer. Uh, participate in the offerings uh, that are associated with that, that feast. The Feast of Sukkot is the feast that, among other things, there are 70, there are 70 uh, offerings made, uh, and uh, the sages have seen these are the offerings for the nations. That's right, for the nations. Um, uh, which is why I read Temple Service from Shimon Esrei, the fire offerings of Israel and their... Uh, and the return of this. So, when we read about this in Zechariah 14, which is clearly a reference to the end of the ages, we read about the celebration of a feast of tabernacles taking place in a temple in Jerusalem. Um, we see it in Isaiah chapter 2, and also in, uh, in Malachi, the idea that all the nations will go up to Jerusalem and worship the Lord there. Uh, it's the mountain of the Lord. Okay, we're setting the stage for the discussion of Matthew chapter 17 uh, because we are giving a glimpse in Matthew 17 of something yet future. A uh, little bit about last week, we talked about a little bit about ecclesia or what is commonly referred to. Uh, the first reference in your English Bible to the word church uh, in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, and obviously, Yeshua is not speaking of a man-made organization that is... Uh, um, that is occupying every corner in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, uh, he's not talking about a synagogue either. Uh, he's, he's talking about ecclesia. Ecclesia is the same word, the same Greek word as we thought saw last week. It's the same Greek word used for the congregation of the wilderness. In fact, it's used many, many scores of times in the Tanakh uh, when it was translated into Greek, uh, what's called the Septuagint, about 300 years before Yeshua's birth. Uh, that was the common Bible among those who did not speak Hebrew, who uh, believers who did not speak Hebrew, or uh, even Jews who were living in the diaspora, out of the land of Israel. They actually used the Septuagint as their Bible. And it is the Tanakh in Greek. Um, and that is the word used all throughout the Tanakh for the congregation of Israel. It's Israel. Israel. Um, so, when he said, my congregation, or my, uh, my called out ones, the focus is called out ones, not, a, not an organization, not even a collective. The focus is called. They're called. My called ones. Um, we also looked a little bit about uh, binding and loosing as individuals. We told uh, how it is that we are supposed to uh, determine how to... How to uh, how, what standards we're going to keep? First of all, we're going to keep God's standards. But how are we going to keep God's standards? The decision how, when He doesn't tell us how, is very, uh, very much open. We think. Well, bottom line was, and I gave you the wrong reference, but the bottom line is we're supposed to live obedient, but we're also supposed to be living in love, sensitive to one another. Uh, at ch- in chapter 17, Yeshua tells his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. But in 17, he gives them a glimpse of his kingdom. Do you remember in, in chapter 16, rather, uh, Yeshua asks the question, which prompted all of our discussion last week. He says, who do men say that I am? Peter responds, you are Messiah, the son of the living God. 
which then we see is carried over into this week. Go to chapter 17, verse 1. This is part of the same. Again, what we talked about last week is the chapters and the verses are not divinely inspired. Uh, unfortunate for us sometimes, it makes it easy to break things up and make a reference, but unfortunate for us sometimes is that uh, we have to go to a place that's man-made. Sometimes it makes no sense. Whereas in ancient times, they would use a phrase from that passage to kind of remember what we're talking about. I, I said, when, we were, when I was talking about reading from the Siddur, the prayer, Yishtabach. That's the way that the prayer is identified. Yishtabach is the, may your name be praised. Uh, that yish, the word Yishtabach identifies. There's no chapter and verse in the Siddur. Same thing happened all the time in our Bibles until somebody, you know, many, many centuries later, came up with chapters and verses. We're all, and it's, it's nice, but it also helps us kind of just, distracts us a little bit because it breaks things up. Verse 28 of Matthew 16 belongs with chapter 17. Look at 17.1. Now, after six days, Yeshua took Peter, James, John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. After six days. First of all, anytime you say, anytime you read the words thereafter or therefore or, uh, or something that refers to the previous passage, you can't start there. <laughs> Can you? It's like, uh, what are we talking about? What's the context? Uh, so we have to go back. We have to read verses 26 and 28 of 16. For the Son of Man will come, excuse me, 27 and 28. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of man coming in his kingdom. Now, after six days. See how it all goes together. It all goes. It, it is one phrase. The, the the correlation here between Son of Man coming His kingdom and the events of chapter 15, 17 are drawn in by this, 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 these verses. Uh, look at the next phrase, though. Now, after six days, uh, excuse me. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a note here on the third day. The third day is something you often see in Scripture. Now, on the third day, after the third day, at, on the third day, actually repeated in the Tanakh, too. Can anybody think of some? On the third day, such and such happened. Moses, or excuse me, Abraham, take your son, your only son who you love, and take him to a place where I show you an offering there is a burnt offering. So Abraham obeys. And then as he's going, it says, now on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw where it was that he was supposed to take him. Uh, there, are other, there are many, actually, on the third days throughout Scripture. Um, what else happened on the third day? On the third day, that's right. This is, these are not by accident. These are intentional phrases used to get us to go, wait a minute, hmm, interesting. Or as, as, uh, uh, as we are prone to say, what question was Rashi asking? Rashi is a sage from the 12th century, and Rashi just asks questions. He sees odd things and goes, what's that all about? And he digs deeper. This is the way we should study scripture. When we say, that's interesting. I don't get that. You see, when you have all the answers, you stop asking questions. When you stop asking questions, you don't really care what God says. So, good question. After six days, would that be the seventh or seventh? Actually, that's an interesting thought, and very, very, very. It's certainly supposed to draw us into that thinking, isn't it? But actually, another thing that it could be: how long is Sukkot? 
Seven days. That's right. Well, is an eighth. But let's not think of the eighth. It says seven days. For seven days you shall dwell, dwell in, 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 in a sukkah. Uh, certainly we're getting this picture that there is some significance after six days. Why not after five? Uh, why are they keeping track of it? All right. Why does Matthew think it's important to tell us? So, yes. Shabbat, yes. Is it the Sabbath? Does it have to do with Sukkot or Passover? Something else that's seven days? Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, rather, for seven days. Go to Exodus chapter 24. Yeah, I go backwards. You know, I could read what happened in 17, but, you know, I like to set the stage. Exodus chapter 24, verse 15 says, Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on the mountain, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain, the eyes of the children of Israel, in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Um, wow, that's pretty cool. Six days, six days. Who would know this? Readers of the book of Matthew would know this. (laughs) Sad for us that most readers of the book of Matthew have no clue the importance of six days. No clue. Does it go back to creation? It does. But I think this is the most important thing is that um, Matthew is uh, wanting to draw a correlation to Exodus 24. Because what happens? Let's look at it. Uh, starting in verse 2. You know, verse 1 again. 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Now after six days, Yeshua went, took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to, the, said to Yeshua, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make... Uh, let, let us... It is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Now go back to uh, Exodus chapter 20. Verse 18. Exodus 20, 18. I hope you know Exodus 20. It is the giving of the ten words. Uh, for those of you who don't know the Ten Commandments, my Bible says Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments is not a biblical uh, description. It's actually called the Ten Words. Uh, as a description, they are certainly contain commandments. Uh, Exodus 20:18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. And they said to Moses, "You speak with us, and we will hear. But let us not speak, let not God speak with us, lest we die." Uh, and we see this. It says, "Now the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes." And actually, what it says is they actually saw. It says they saw the thunderings. They saw the, the sound, and it's the word kol. It is a voice. 
Um, those of you who know something of rabbinic writings, you know of a bot call, the daughter of a voice. It's a voice from heaven, is what it's called. A voice from heaven. A, a, a call, a voice. They saw the voice. Here, they heard the voice. This is what Peter, James, and John hear here on the mountain. They hear a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son. Uh, boy, if you knew how often the phrase, a voice from heaven, the significance of a voice from heaven uh, in rabbinic writings like the Talmud or Midrash, uh, you, you're immediately drawn to this and go, wow, man, that's, that's, some, uh, that's some real Jewish stuff there. <laughs> it really is. Um, go to Revelation chapter 1. I have a new King James here. Uh, um, it says 10 words. No, mine says Ten Commandments. Uh, no, actually, the Ten Words is probably even even your Stone Tanakh probably says Ten Commandments there. Uh, just when it's discussed, when it's discussed, those Ten Commandments are discussed. They're generally called the Ten Words. Um, yeah, Revelation chapter one verse ten. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven assemblies which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. And when I turn to see the voice, that's supposed to remind us of Revelation chapter 19. When I turn to see the or Exodus chapter 19. When I turn to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. To see the voice... One like the Son of Man coming. We see one like the Son of Man coming further down in, in, in Revelation chapter 1. One like the Son of Man to see the voice. Six days also points to the seventh day. What is the seventh day? Shabbat. It's Shabbat. What's Shabbat mean? That's true. The Shabbat is to cease, to cease, to stop. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 teaches us there still is a Shabbat for the people of God. What is a Shabbat? A Shabbat is a... Uh, it's a past, it's a, it's a present, and it's a future. Shabbat in the past was God ceased from his work of creation. And he rested, not because he was tired, but because it was good. He, uh, it's a present. There still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Um, and it's a future. It is a rest from all of your labors. Rest. The, the, and as you said, the millennial reign. Yes, absolutely. But it's even more. That's the start, right? The start. We get to rest. And, if he, and in Hebrews chapter 4, that's precisely the writer of the Hebrews point. When he talks about the rest, what he's talking about, he says, you know how you, and he does this, I'm sorry, it's the truth. You know how you get ready for the Sabbath each week? You start on day one, which is what you call Sunday. In Hebrew, it's the first day of the Sabbath. Uh, that's what it's referred to. Uh, on the first day of the Sabbath, you start getting ready for the Sabbath. Yeah. Six days out. Why? Because it takes time to get ready. What happens when the sun sets on Friday night? You cease. You're, you, there's no getting more ready anymore. Why? If you didn't do it already, you can't do anything for it now. That's the whole point. And the writer of Hebrews makes this point. He makes a great analogy from it. He makes a profound analogy from it, saying, Don't despise the time now in preparation. Don't despise Yeshua. Don't despise the Master's call to get ready to repent. Because repentance is for now. Because when the sun sets, it's over. 
All your preparation has to be done in advance. That's the message being given to us about Shabbat each week when we're reminded of this is we're reminded that at the when it's time it's time. Get ready now. Get the work done now. Well, the work can be done. Because once it starts, there's no more work. You can't prepare for the kingdom reign of Messiah after it starts. You have to prepare now. And what we, what we recognize is that the preparation now, and I may have told this story before real quickly. Uh, a king, uh, a man's uh, on a, uh, I, I heard this from Daniel Lancaster. It's a great, great analogy. A man uh, is washed up on a desert island. As he comes on the desert island, uh, the natives there uh, basically uh, uh, meet him and, and uh, talk about what a great man he is. He soon learns their language and understands they think he's the king. They call him the king. They serve him. They do whatever he asks. One day he's looking across the, the, the water and he sees another island he goes are there people living over there oh no no people live there well what's that over there that's the place of our previous kings oh our previous kings so there have been other kings before me oh yes people wash up on shore our kings wash up on shore and and uh, after a while we take them over to uh, their their kingly island well let me go see their kingly island as he goes over to the kingly island he discovers there are many actually kings that are there previous kings they're all passed away they're all dead the skeletons are left they've starved to death well, what is it that brings the king over here? Why would he ever leave the comfort of the, of the servants that are, that are serving him and the food and everything else? Well, when another king washes up on shore, we take our previous king over to the king's island. Well, the king suddenly figures this out, or the man figures this out, that this is not good. When the next guy washes up on shore, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to starve to death. So what he did was he said, I'm the king. I command you. I want you to stock uh, food. Uh, I want you to build nice houses, everything for me on the king's island. So they did. So when the next king washed up on shore, in fact, he continued to live in, in luxury on the king's island. The idea being that we must prepare now for the time that we cannot see coming and do not know the date or the hour we have to prepare now and this is the picture that we get in the Sabbath this is why it's important when we understand this when we look at this picture here in in Matthew chapter 17 go to Matthew chapter uh, 17 verse uh, we got down to verse 6 and when the disciples heard it they fell on the voice they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid but Yeshua came and touched them and said arise and do not be afraid when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Ye- they saw no one but Yeshua only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Yeshua commanded them, saying, "Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead." <laughs> you had to go, "Whoa, wait! <laughs> what are you talking about? This is news to them." <laughs> then Yeshua asked him, saying. Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Actually, I shouldn't say this is news to them. They had just heard this in chapter 16. This is fairly fresh information. Uh, But then they said, and the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say, the sages of Israel, that Elijah must come first? Is that true? Well, actually it is. If you look over Malachi, that's exactly true. Elijah must come first. Why is it that every Shabbat... Every Shabbat ends Havdalah or Havdalah, the dividing between the end of the Sabbath and the beginning of the new week at sunset Saturday night. Why does it always end with a song? Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hatishbi, Eliyahu Hagiladi. Elijah, the prophet, Elijah the Gileadite, Elijah. 
uh, from Tishbi, the Tishbite. May he come soon in our days, bringing Messiah with him. Every Shabbat for a couple thousand years has ended with this song in observant homes. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? How do they know this? Well, the sages knew it. And, they, and by the way, Yeshua says it's true too. And remember what he said about John the Baptist? He's kind of like Elijah. He's kind of like precedes me. But that's not what he was talking about. This is something even more. Elijah precedes. Uh, every Passover, we all know you have a cup for Elijah. Most likely, Yochanan, the immerser, was born at Passover time, but he was not. He was, he was a predecessor of Yeshua, but he's not the Elijah we're talking about. We're talking about really Elijah. Really Elijah. All the way through the Talmud, anytime something important happens, Elijah shows up. Honest. People talk to Elijah. Sages talk to Elijah. They get information from Elijah. Elijah's always talking about Messiah. Now, whether those stories are real or not, it's not important. It's just important to know. It's part of the, it's part of the culture, but it's also part of the religious understanding about Elijah. Elijah precedes Messiah. That if you have Messiah, Elijah has to be visible somewhere. He has to have been here, right? Seriously. Yes, ma'am. Going back to the fact that they saw Elijah and Moses, uh, is there any wonder in the fact that they immediately knew who these two persons were? No, and that's that, and that's why I'm bringing up the Talmud. We're talking about Elijah because that's it's like commonplace. And Elijah shows up <laughs> and he talks to so and so and he tells him such and such. Uh, it's it and it's not it's not you know it's like like it happens every day. Uh, Moses would be rather profound. No, no one speaks to Moses. That that is but profound. Yes, yeah, right. Did he have like did he have like two tablets? I'm Moses, you know me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, it doesn't record for us that they're wonder. They're afraid. They are in awe of what's going on. If you go to Malachi four, verse four, Moses is mentioned. Just That's right. Well, how's he mentioned? Remember the Torah. There you go. What are, what are we hearing from from John and from Yeshua all the way through? Repent for the kingdom of what? Let's remember the Torah of Moses. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb, that's Sinai, for all Israel, which are the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Yes. Um, I'm missing the beginning point about Elijah. Elijah, well, here's, they see Elijah. They see Elijah and Moses with Yeshua on this mountain. But why is Messiah there? Why is Elijah always? Because it says in verse 5 of Malachi chapter 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. <coughs> That's why. Because they know Messiah comes at the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And you said that Elijah will bring um, Messiah? Elijah will precede Messiah. And Moses. And if you saw it, how did we start reading in Revelation chapter 1? I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. That's not Sunday, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's called an anachronism, where you, you project... A, a something way in the future back into the back into the past we understand everybody uses the phrase the Lord's Day to refer to Sunday but that's not what John was thinking when he wrote it what was John thinking 
Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In, in Hebrew, it's, it's exactly the same as the Lord's day. Yes. What did Eli- What did John see? John saw what John saw here. <laughs> John in Revelation one saw what he saw in on the mountain with Peter and James. It was a glimpse into the future. Actually, not the future. It was a glimpse in, in, into uh, the reality that is always there, and that is Yeshua glorified. Right? Absolutely. Go to Matthew. Excuse me. Go to Leviticus twenty-three. What does Peter say? The minute he sees this, what's he say? I know we should build three. We should build three Sukkot. We should build three tabernacles. Was, and, and everybody always gives Peter a hard time. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you know, there you go again. You know, just, you know, spouting off. Uh, you know, let's not forget what Peter did in, in chapter 16. When asked, who do people say that I am? He immediately says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Of course, later on he says, "Don't go to Jerusalem." Then he has to be told to shut up. But, <laughs> but at least, at least, at least, his bursts are oftentimes extremely well, uh, uh, well uh, motivated. And this is one of them. This is actually one of them. When he says, "Let's build three tabernacles," he's not rebuked. Oh no, don't do that. We can't do that. And I was like, "Oh, he wants to make a shrine." Oh, isn't that bad? Excuse me. There are a lot of shrines around the world that weren't built by Jewish believers. These are not shrines he's speaking of. He's speaking of this in Leviticus chapter uh, 23, verse uh, 42. You shall dwell in booths, Sukkot, for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in Sukkot, that your, uh, Sukkot, that your generations may, be, may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. This is the feast of Sukkot. It's very likely, in my opinion, this is actually taking place around about Sukkot, maybe actually during Sukkot. Although it may not be during Sukkot because they should have gone up to Jerusalem. But, uh, but it may be around Sukkot. And this is why he's immediately thinking, you know, this is the, this is the kingdom we're seeing. This is the end. Knowing Zechariah, knowing the prophets, knowing Malachi chapter 4, he immediately recognizes we're seeing the kingdom. Moses and Elijah with Messiah, this is the kingdom. It's time. It's, we're going up the mountain, right? Now, by the way, if you want to know, the mountain is not Mount Tabor. Which if you go to Israel today, they'll say, let's go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Mount Tabor, which is south of the Sea of Galilee. If you know, in chapter 16, they're in the north of Israel, way up north near Hermon, up near uh, um, Caesarea Philippi, or uh, today, Banias Falls. Uh, and later on, we see them in Galilee, in chapter, uh, after chapter 17. So they would have to go way south and then back up north again. It makes no sense. It was probably, there's a mountain up uh, near Safed, uh, or... Uh, 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 yeah, near Safed, that actually is probably as taller than, than uh, or at least as tall as Tabor. But Tabor was chosen because Queen Catherine, Constantine's crazy mother, she thought, you know, this works good. We could build, uh, we could build a, a pilgrimage place right here and collect some money. <laughs> That's why all of the ones. That's why you have to really be careful about Yeshua slept here. Whenever you're in Israel, you know the little signs, Yeshua slept here. It's, it's nonsense. Just as much as the nonsense with George Washington. Um, <laughs> 
This is a crazy question. Not the Messiah until Elijah, and then what you got? He was not recognized. Although, remember what Peter said? Flesh and blood has not... You should have said flesh and blood has not revealed to, this to you, right? Peter said, you're the Messiah. And he said flesh and blood didn't tell you this. In other words, you have no evidence to prove this yet. I agree. He was Messiah, but he was not recognized. Now he is. Boy, this is amazing. And what does he tell his disciples? Don't tell anyone. Is that kind of confusing to you? It is to me. Listen to me. This is a very, very important point for us. We have oftentimes been taught. Now, let me maybe you haven't been taught. Theologically, and from the theological seminaries have taught, no, no, it's all about making sure that the Jewish people will reject him. That's why. Because that's part of the plan. It's part of the plan. They have to reject him. Otherwise, that's it. You know, Romans 11, the Gentiles can never be added. Well, are we glad they rejected him? Boy, we, you know, he went from one people to have a new people, right? That's the argument being made in seminaries. Why it's important not to tell them. Don't tell anyone. Is that the argument that's being made? Categorically not. How is it possible that he would want to deceive people? Of course not. He is not a bait-and-switch artist. By the way, you're my people today, but I'm not going to give you all the information. Pretend you can obey me. You can't really. And I'll punish you for it. No, absolutely not. Of course not. Why does he not want people to know he's Messiah? Well, there are two reasons. One was for him to die, and the other one was for him to be the ultimate Maccabee. That's right. Absolutely. Is it not... Is it not good that he was a martyr? He raised from the dead, but is it not good that he was a martyr? Yes, absolutely. That he died. He did more than just a martyr, obviously. He was, he's in atonement. But is it not good? Yes. Is it time for his kingdom? No. Time for his kingdom for some people, but it's not time for his kingdom on earth, is it? This is, a, this is like, the, this is like the, uh, uh, the invasion before the invasion. The uh, gathering of intelligence, the uh, doing important work that needs to be done so that the invasion can be successful. That's right. This is, I know, a couple thousand years, a long time. But it is. This is the work that has to be done in order that when the kingdom comes, it will be the kingdom. The kingdom is now for us, but it will be again. Go to chapter uh, 4 of Isaiah. If you did your homework, you, these, these will ho- all hopefully be uh, familiar to you. But um, if you didn't, uh, and, and you're not used to my style here, I apologize in advance, but it's what our writers in the apostolic scriptures do, too. They jump a whole, around a whole lot. <laughs> um, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. Um, in the day, in that day, the branch of the Lord, uh, if you remember back... In the beginning of Matthew, we started. Do you remember he was called uh, Nazarene? Right? A Nazarene? It would be from Nazareth. He was, the prophets have said, remember, he was never, the prophets never said he would be from Nazareth. Never said he would be a Nazarene. What it says is he would be the branch. Remember, Nazareth means branch town. The place of the branches. So the, Think about it. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the Lord shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem 
will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. How far was I supposed to read? Uh, through chapter 5, 1. Uh, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assembly a cloud of smoke by day, the shining of flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. And there will be a tabernacle for shade, a sukkah. For shade in the daytime from the heat, and a place for refuge, and a shelter from the storm of rain. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my, uh, my song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. And it goes on to the vineyard, uh, the vineyard passage. So the vineyard is, is Israel. This pillar of fire and cloud by night. What's that a picture of? I mean, what that? Where did we get that from? The wilderness, right? Uh, did you know the word? You've heard this Shekinah. It's, I love a southern accent. It's Shekinah. Or Shekinah. Shekinah, as it's used by so many southern preachers. The Shekinah glory, the Shekinah, is not in the Bible. It's not. Never a word, never a phrase, never a word used in Scripture. The verb Shekinah is, it's a Hebrew verb, means to dwell. It's the dwelling presence. That's why I read from the Shemona Esrei. May our eyes see... Your presence returned to Zion. That's what it's talking about. His name is always there. But a visible representation of him. A visible representation of him. The dwelling presence of God. The visible representation of him. Shkina. This is an important thing. When you read about, by the way, Christian, Christian theologians got it from Jewish theologians because they use Shkina all the time talking about the dwelling presence of God and that's where they got it from because as you read the scriptures you say what is this what is this fire God's not in the fire what's this pillar of smoke God's not in the smoke what's this what's this presence in the holy of holies that that Ezekiel sees leave God's not in God's not something that you can see in that way what is that all that we can describe is it's the Shekinah it's the visible representation of him. He's invisible, but somehow he wants to make himself visible. Why? Because the word shakan means to dwell. That's why. Because he wants to dwell among us. And that was the promise that he made when he had us build the tabernacle. Is I'll dwell among you. He wants to dwell among us. John chapter 1. No, no, Shekinah. Oh, it's just a mispronunciation. Shekinah is a mispronunciation of the word Shekinah. And how do they get that word? That's all right. <laughs> it's okay. I mispronounce things all the time. Uh, go to John chapter 1. When Hebrew is not your first language, it's easy to kind of confuse it all. Uh, verse uh, 14. And the word, John. Remember who's writing this? John. Same guy that was on the mountain. Same guy that saw, saw what he saw in Revelation chapter 1, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the, fully be- uh, uh, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who has a different version there? And dwelt among us. And tabernacle among us? Yeah. That's actually a better word, I think. 
Shekan, actually. Yeah, he's a Hebrew speaker. That's exactly what he's singing. It dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. A visible representation of what cannot be seen. I can see what can't be seen. When I look at him, I can see all that I need to see. Right? It's pretty amazing. People would refer to the scriptures back to Genesis, where uh, Yeshua is the word and you hear your friend's question. Is that correct? That's right. That's exactly right. A dwelling among us. Will he always be human? Will Messiah always be in human flesh? He is resurrected. Is he still is he still a man? Not according to Catholic theology, but what do you know? He's still a man. Do you see these scars in my hands? He said. And we see them in Revelation. He's one that looks like a lamb has been slain, right? He looks the same in the sense that he looks like a man, he is a man, in fact he still bears the scars of a man. And why is that important? Because he's still a man. Forever a man. Can you imagine? That's a profound thought when you think about it. It really is. It's amazing. By the way, he wants to build three Sukkot. Peter wants to build three Sukkot up there in a the mountain, right? What's the first practice? Everybody remember the first few days of Sukkot? Actually, all the way through Sukkot. We invite guests. Ushpazim, right? We invite Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob. Oh, we invite Moses. We invite Moses. Not like they ever show up. <laughs> Maybe one day they will. Go to Luke chapter 9. We've got to finish quick here. I'm always about four scriptures too late here. Luke chapter 9. Verse 30. And behold, two men talked with him. This is speaking of the same thing. Who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in the glory and spoke as of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. What were they speaking of? Matthew doesn't tell us. What were they speaking about? Moses and Elijah were speaking of Yeshua's going to Jerusalem and dying. And resurrection. Why? Why is that important? It's about redemption. It's about the ultimate redemption. It's about it's about what it was all about, always, right? Go to John chapter five, forty five, and we'll finish with this. It's what it was always about. The promise has never changed. It's never shifted. Its focus has never changed. It's always been the same promise from the beginning. John chapter 4, verse 45. Excuse me, John chapter 5, verse 45. Do you, this is Yeshua speaking, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. He is Moshe Rabbeinu. It's Moses. We, we trust in Moses. Why? Because he spoke the words of God. He didn't say God spoke. We saw it. We saw it on his face. When he came out of speaking to God, his face glowed. He'd tell us what God said and then he'd cover his face. Why did he let his face be seen glowing after he spoke to God? So that we would know those were God's words. Those Moses did not make them up. This is not the Torah of Moses. This is the Torah of Hashem. God spoke and his words never returned void. The Torah of Moses are the words of God. Moses was the one chosen to convey them to us. But they're God's words. Listen to what Yeshua says. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. 
But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is something that we should say lovingly to our friends, our Christian friends and family. Why? If you don't believe Moses, do you want to know the best evangelism that you can provide? Teach Moses. He speaks of Yeshua. If you want to convince people that Yeshua is Messiah, speak Moses. He speaks God's words. God's words speak of Messiah. From the beginning, the promise was one and the same. Always was. If you don't believe Moses, you won't believe my words. That's a pretty much an indictment upon us, is it not? People that say, no, old stuff, stories. Nice stories. I mean, we can make movies from them. Ten Commandments, right? Nice stories. Good examples of what not to do is what we tell people. See? Those people wandering in the wilderness. Shame on them. Shame on them for not believing God. They saw it all. See see how see how stiff necked Jewish people are? If you did not believe Moses, how will you believe my words? It is impossible, and I believe this with all my heart, and I hope you are finding this to be true. It is impossible to understand the apostolic scriptures with not without understanding the Torah. Because it is the foundation upon everything being built. It is about Messiah from beginning to end. It is pure Messiah. All the way through. It is so important that we teach this. And we already read Malachi chapter 4. Moses and Elijah, we need to recognize that we're watching for two. Revelation chapter 11. We're watching for two. Two witnesses. Elijah and Moses. Well, Moses is my conjecture. (laughs) My guess. Some people say it's Enoch. (laughs) Moses and Elijah. And I think we've seen them. This is, the, this is the kingdom coming. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you have given us this great promise to know that you have set a, you have set a series of events in motion. You have, you have interjected. You have orchestrated. You have manipulated. You have planned it from the beginning. From the very dawn of time, all is working according to your plan perfectly. And that plan was that Messiah would come, that Yeshua would speak, that he would teach father that he would die that he would be buried that he would provide that atonement for us and proof that you accepted it that he would be resurrected that he would be seated at the right at your right hand father that we would look forward to his return to establish his kingdom and that we know that elijah will come and proclaim his coming father we ask that you might teach us how it is that we might personally repent and prepare for that kingdom today and father how we might teach others to repent thank you for your promises that they are sure and they will never return void we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.